So I have a question. Is anybody here familiar with the Canterbury Tales? Anyone? So it's a collection of stories written by Geoffrey Chaucer in around 1400 A.D. And so the conceit of the story is that a group of pilgrims are traveling to Canterbury Cathedral to visit this holy space as well as see the shrine of St. Thomas Becket. And so to pass the time, they have a contest to see who can tell the best story along the way. And so the Canterbury Tales is really just 24 stories that were told along the way. And I've got kind of this parlor trick I can do concerning the Canterbury Tales. We had to memorize the opening lines for my high school senior English class, and I still remember them 30 years later. Check this out. You can read along with me. Van not April with the shorter suit of the drocht of March hath passed to the rooter, and by that every vein is switch liqueur of which virtue engendered is the fleur. That's English. <laughs> and, and that's English up there. And I know I'm not the only one that can do it. Like my brother can do it, same English class. Our friend Chris can do it. Probably a lot of people who graduated from Logan Sport High School, English class, can do it. But it means something really important to me because it reminds me of a time that I discovered that I really might just possibly could be more than just a weed. You see, I wasn't the most attentive high school student in the room. I talked too much. I was easily distracted, and I daydreamed a lot. And that got on my sophomore English teacher's nerves, Mrs. Wagner. She was wary of me, by the way. If anyone had this happen, like I walked in the room and I was already like two knocks against me because she had my brother three years before me. <laughs> and so I add to that the fact that I daydreamed. She had to teach grammar that year and I just daydreamed all through grammar. Like I ain't heard none of that. And um, when finally we moved on to the literature section, we had this literature module, like I woke up I started paying attention because I loved to read, and I had a good memory for things that I would read. And so on one particular day, I'm sitting in my desk, and I'm sitting outside because I missed a day. So I'm sitting outside in the hallway doing the makeup quiz while the rest of the class is in, in there. And she goes over a quiz that I had taken a couple days before, and she's going over the grades, and she announces that Mike got the highest grade in the class. But she did so with all this like fake surprise and pomp and circumstance that she could muster. And of course, everybody laughs. And then she makes them clap and she makes this big deal out of it. And I'm sitting there thinking, look, I'm right here. Like I can hear you left the door open. I can hear what you're doing. But mostly I was thinking I I'm a weed. Like I don't belong here. Like this is a class full of roses and I'm the weed. And I carried that feeling with me all through, like, I, apparently I'm still carrying it with me now because I remember it like it was yesterday, even though it was 30 years ago. But in senior English, my teacher was Mr. Weaver, and this year was all literature, all essay writing, and, and, and I loved it. Like, I loved every bit of it. I loved Mr. Weaver and my grades reflecting that, and I started actually to feel like maybe I'm a rose too. And I even got an A-plus on one essay that I had to write. And, and the problem was, though, Kathy, Kathy, she saw my grade, 
and she was outraged because my grade was higher than hers. We were alphabetical teammates, you know, like so since fourth grade, eight years we'd been sitting one after another, and never in those eight years had I ever gotten a grade higher than Kathy's grade. If you could count on one thing in life, you could count on that Mike would get a lower grade than me. And so Kathy sees my grade and is like, whoa, wait a minute, and decides to complain to the teacher. Like she contested her grade in front of the class for no other reason than it was against the law of nature that I might get a better grade than her. And she did it loud enough for everyone in the room to hear. And once again, I was reminded, oh no, (laughs) you're just a weed. Anybody ever been there? Like been made to feel like you didn't belong somewhere, like you're a weed among roses? Or anyone ever make themselves feel that way? Like nobody's telling you you're a weed, no one's telling you you don't belong, but you tell yourself you don't belong. I'm just a weed. Well, thankfully for me, Mr. Weaver wasn't having Kathy's argument, and he went on to encourage me all year, especially when we had to recite literature like the Canterbury Tales and Middle English, and I went on to major in English in college because of Mr. Weaver, and thankfully, though, for all of us, we have Jesus to encourage us and remind us who we are. We have Jesus' tale about the weeds, So this is Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. He, Jesus, told them, the disciples and the crowds gathered, another parable. And he said, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? And he answered, An enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them, gather the weeds? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your reminders once and always to us that We are more than weeds. Some days when we feel like we should be gathered up and tossed away, Lord, we look to you. We look to your grace. We look to your presence in our lives to help us stand firm and move ever closer to who you would have us be. And so speak to each of us. You know us. You know our hearts. You know what we need to hear. Speak to us today. Amen. So I got to think, like as parables go, this is a pretty straightforward parable. Like just like last week, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, can you explain this to us? Because we're not getting it. But we know about weeds, right? Weeds are invasive. Weeds hurt other plants. Weeds are not attractive. Weeds do not belong there. And so what do we do with weeds? We 
pull them. Yeah, someone say we whack them <laughs> with the weed whacker for service. We pull them, we whack them. That's what the householder's servants offered to do. The householder in this tale is God, by the way, right? God has planted all these good people on earth, but Satan has come along and planted some weeds amongst them, corrupting them. Sometimes Satan plants weeds in our own heart, corrupting us. And it's gotten to the point where the servants are struggling to tell which are the weeds and which are the wheat. And so when they offer to pull the weeds, what does the householder say? He says, yeah, just go pull whatever you think is a weed. No, he says, no, don't pull the weeds. You'll just end up pulling the good stuff along with the weeds. That's not your job. You just tend to the field and let the weeds go ahead and grow alongside the wheat. But when it's harvest time, who's going to be in charge of the wheat pulling? The householder, God, right? He says, the, he says I'm going to tell you when to pull and what to pull. See, it's a pretty straightforward tale it's not our job to pull weeds. We have the privilege of leaving that to Jesus. When the kingdom comes in all its glory, Jesus is in charge of weeding the world. That's his promise. It's a terrifying promise at times, especially when you're feeling particularly weedy. But it's also, it gives us freedom, right? It's a promise that brings with us grace, that we don't have to worry about the weeds, that God's got this. That God's got this. And sometimes, though, I think in this world, like even though it's not our job to pull the weeds, as a society, we are obsessed with weeds. We are obsessed with pulling weeds. Like even especially, I think, here in the States, did y'all know this? That the United States has the highest rate of incarceration in the world. In the entire world, we have weeded out a larger percentage of our people than any other country in the world. And politics is just like slinging enough mud so that you can convince everybody else that your opponent is a what? A weed. Don't, don't vote for her. She's a weed. I, 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 I'm, a, I'm a buttercup. That's what I, is that a weed, though, actually? I don't know. <laughs> the news media is just an epic game of weed of the week, or now we got like a 10-second news cycle, so the weed of this second the whole cancel cart culture that we got going on right now is about pulling weeds and how much wheat has gotten destroyed in that process. Even our own, our own city, Kansas City, has this history of redlining. You might have heard about that. And really, that's just a history of some pretty racist people deciding that another group of people are weeds and need to stay on the weedy side of the street. Even today, how much do homeowners associations devolve into weeding out particular neighbors, although some neighbors could use some weeding, I think. Dating apps, they just make weeding easier, right? You just have to swipe and you know. Gym class, like gym class. anybody ever go through this, like picking teams? They should give you a biology credit because it's less about picking teams and then it's, it, it, it's more about an exercise in weed identification. And I was typically identified as a weed in that process. The, the, the church, even church, maybe especially church, like the history of the Christian faith, if you think about it, is a history of weeding. Like the Apostle Paul, who wrote like half the New Testament, his relationship with Christ began when he was weeding Christians out of the Jewish faith. And then the Roman Empire, half of our saints from the early Christian church were weeded out, persecuted by the Roman Empire. The Crusades came and Christians attempted to weed Muslims out of the Holy Land. The Spanish Inquisition, that's just another name for the great Spanish weeding. 
The European wars of religion during the Protestant Reformation, people trying to weed each other out, different groups, and we're still weeding today. Like those people can't be pastors or those people can't be leaders. These people shouldn't be baptized and that person should not have communion. I saw her yesterday. Even our welcome teams sometimes devolve into weeding teams, right? You're at the door separating the goats and the sheep and telling them where to go. Even our denomination is getting into arguments over who's a weed and who isn't. I mean, you can't tell me you've never looked around this room and thought, that guy kind of looks like a weed, i got to keep an eye on that weed in case he grows a little. Actually, that's why I like standing up here, because I can pretty much see all the weeds out there. <laughs> like all the weeds. <laughs> that's a perk of being up here. But sometimes it feels like our favorite pastime as Christians is pointing out and pulling weeds. When Jesus' tale reminds us that it was never our job to begin with. We weren't called to be weeders at the Great Commission. We were called to tend to the garden, weeds and all. Grow the garden, weeds and all. Water the garden, weeds and all. Because you never know what's going to grow out of that what you think is a weed. Because who are we really to know who's going to turn out to be a weed in the end and who's going to be a rose? Like, I have to ask for help. Like, I will, I've, well, usually I just call and say, come out here because I'm lazy. But if I'm weeding out front and I don't want to mess it up, I'm like, Liz, is this a weed? Is this a flower? No, that's a flower. Oops, sorry. Right? I don't know. And if I can't be trusted to pick a literal weed, like, who am I to deal with metaphorical weeds? Right? I mean, take our saint of the week this week. We've been talking about a different saint in the history of the church every week. This week, it's Mary of Egypt. Mary was born around 344 A.D., somewhere in Egypt. We're not sure where she was born, but we know at the age of 12, something or someone drove her from her family into Alexandria, Egypt, where she lived her life begging and spinning flax for food. She told later, she said that most of her days, though, she spent in the company of men, sometimes for money, but most often because of a, quote, insatiable an irrepressible passion. After 17 years in Alexandria, Mary decided to go on what she called an anti-pilgrimage to Jerusalem, where she hoped to find more opportunities for pleasure among the throngs of visitors. And so she joined a group of pilgrims traveling from Alexandria to the holy city, and she paid her way with her body. And when they made it to Jerusalem, Mary followed the pilgrims to their first destination. She attempted to enter the doorway of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is where Christ's burial tomb is said to be. It's like the holiest of holy sites for pilgrims, especially in the fourth century, only she couldn't enter. While all the other pilgrims went in to celebrate, some invisible, unseen force, she said, kept forcing me back from that doorway. She said, I tried to enter several times, but something kept pushing me back until I finally realized that it must, I must not be able to enter because of my impurity. Because I'm a what? Because I'm a weed. She knew she was a weed. Everyone around her knew Mary's a weed. 
But then outside that church, she saw an icon, an image of Mary, the mother of Jesus, painted on the wall, and she prayed right there on that spot. She vowed to give up her lifestyle. She asked for forgiveness, and she committed herself to living out the rest of her days alone as a desert monk, if that's what it would take. And this time she was allowed to enter the church, the holiest of holy ground. And when she left, she said, I heard a voice telling me that I would find a glorious rest in the wilderness across the Jordan. Anyone here need some glorious rest right about now in your life? It's apparently it's across the Jordan River. You just have to get there. By all appearances, Mary was a weed worth pulling. And if God had left the pulling up to us, chances are she probably wouldn't have even made it to Jerusalem. She would have been pulled long before she got there. But is it our job to pull weeds? No, thankfully not. Because when Mary of Egypt crossed the Jordan, she was no, Jordan, she was no longer a weed. She was a holy woman on her way to sainthood. And we know that she was on her way because of, of, of a monk's tale. Sophronius of Jerusalem. He lived in the 7th century, and he was the bishop of Jerusalem. Like, he was the guy in charge of the church in the holy city of Jerusalem. And his offices actually were in the church of the holy sepulcher. He could go in and out the door, but I don't know if he, he was all that. Well, he was an austere monk, and he held others to the same standard. He was also quite prideful. And one of his letters even contains a list of other monks that he would like to kick out if only he could. Like he wrote that letter. He wrote their names down. Like I'm all worried that Mrs. Wagner, one of her old letters is going to be found and my name's going to be on there. Like kids I'd like to kick out of my class. Like I'm still there. Like if you ask me, that sounds kind of like a weedy thing to do, (laughs) to write a list of people you want kicked out of a church when especially you're the bishop of the church. But thankfully... (laughs) And I think because he knew that about himself, he was the first one to sit down and write the story of Mary. It had been told amongst the, the, the Christians in that area and in the East for, for the last 300 years. They knew it in their hearts, but he wrote it down, and he wrote it down because he'd heard the story from someone who'd heard it from someone who'd heard it from someone who heard it from another monk named Zosimus of Palestine. And Zosimus was also a bit prideful, a bit haughty. He wanted, he, it was his life's work because, to become the holiest person alive. And so he would try, every year he would go on pilgrimages to different monasteries to find out what they were doing, to try to be more holy and more holy and more holy, which is, again, something kind of rather weedy, if you ask me, to walk around thinking I'm going to be holier than everybody else. And so he's on one such pilgrimage out in the desert when he met Mary of Egypt 17 years after she converted in Jerusalem. He was the first person she'd met in 17 years after she converted to Christ. She was small, Zosimus said, frail, but she was full of the Spirit of God. And when he walked into his, her presence, he immediately was humbled and fell to his knees and realized, I'm never going to be as holy as this woman. It humbled his soul. And so he says, I'll give you anything, anything you need, anything you want. And she said, all I, and he said, all she asked for me was communion. Because as a monk, as a priest, I could bless communion. And she hadn't had communion for 17 years. And so he did. And she asked him to return in a year so she, he could serve her again. And when he returned one year later, he found that Mary had died on that exact spot. But her body was miraculously preserved. And so he buries her. 
and then begins to share her story of repentance and holiness wherever he went. And Mary's story of repentance became Zosimus's story of repentance. And when Sophronius eventually wrote those stories down, you see it becomes his story of repentance and humility. And we have a couple people in here who were confirmands this last year. You remember the name of the um, Orthodox Church we went to up the road with the nuns and the, and, and, and the priest? St. Mary of Egypt, Orthodox Church a church where people even today are being humbled and finding God through the story of this woman who should have been weeded out long before. Wait, no. No, she shouldn't have because it's not our job to pull weeds. The wild thing is all three of those people, Mary, Sophronius, and Zosimus, are all considered saints in the Eastern Orthodox Church today. And all three of them were worthy of being pulled at some point in their lives, but thankfully the people around them, I think, maybe actually remembered what Jesus did. It's a question we've been asking every week, right? What did Jesus do? And what did Jesus do this time? He told us that it's not our job to what? Pull the weeds. It's not our job to pull weeds. That's Jesus' job. He's the weed puller. He's the judge. I mean, we've got enough weed pulling in this world. We Christians don't need to join that party. Because all of us, at some point in our lives, have acted pretty weedy. We all have. We've all looked like we should be pulled at some point. And if we'd been pulled, we wouldn't be here in God's presence today. The beautiful thing about our Savior is He knows that even though we might look like weeds at times, we might talk like weeds at times, we might act like weeds at times, even though we might look in the mirror and only see a weed in our reflection at times, Christ knows that we're all, all of us, inside of us, that God has planted a flower of grace in each and every one of us, placed it there from the beginning. The, through the grace of God, the Father Almighty is just waiting to grow and blossom. So what are you going to do? You're going to still live this life every day thinking it's your job to find and point out and pull all the weeds? Or are you going to see the beautiful flower that God has placed in the hearts of all people? Or are you going to see the beautiful flower that God has placed in your heart? Are you going to allow the Holy Spirit time to do what the Holy Spirit does best? Change hearts, even yours. Because really, if you get down to it, like we're all pilgrims, all of us on the way. None of us are there yet. And we've all got stories enough to tell along the way. Stories of grace, stories of flowers, stories of weedy days. Different stories, but stories that by the grace of God may bring us someday into the presence of His Son, Christ our Savior. We just need time to grow. Amen? Amen.